do it again. So what do we mean by that? Well, the last couple of weeks, uh, Jeff and Chip have been talking about that. I know that they've been sharing with you a little bit about what we're talking about when we talk about, Lord, do it again. What we're talking about, honestly, is just God doing an incredible work. I've watched him work the last 12 years in ways that I did not anticipate, nor did I, um, I, I guess, even dream of or think about. 12 years ago, God laid on, the heart, on my heart and on Beth's heart, uh, I think mine first and then hers and then she convinced me. Anyway, uh, somehow or another, we decided that it was God who was calling us to come and to start this work called the Orchard. <clears throat> we didn't know anything about what God was going to do. And frankly, if we had, it probably would have scared us to death because we did not have everything in mind that we see today. But God began to work. From just the two of us, soon he had us meeting with a group of people in the Holiday Inn. That was pretty cool days. Actually, we gathered together in the banquet room of the Holiday Inn, just set up chairs, and people would come. We'd have fun. It wasn't ideal. You know what? Conference room was where we had kids' church. Can you just imagine those little kids sitting at a conference table? You know, it comes up to here on them. And it wasn't ideal, but you know what? God showed me something early, and that is it doesn't have to be ideal for him to work. And then what do you do with a nursery in a Holiday Inn, right? Where do you put a nursery? We didn't know, but these young couples started coming, and they started bringing their babies. I'm thinking, we got to have a nursery. Well, fortunately, there was a law that would not allow liquor sales on Sunday, and so we just put them in the bar, you know? Just brought in some toys and some rugs and put them in the bar. We advertised BYOB, bring your own baby and come to church, you know? And uh, we just had a great time there, and God just moved until finally... They kicked us out. They said, you know what? You've been wonderful. We love you, but we can't let you meet here forever. So I thought, where are we going to do this? What are we going to do next? <clears throat> we found the skating rink. I'd love to say it was my brilliance. I thought, this will really work. But it wasn't. It was just the cheapest floor space we could find in town that would hold that many of us. And so we started meeting at the skating rink. And lo and behold, we found out people who are unchurched, people who are far from God, which is who is our heart to reach. Honestly, we found out they were okay with coming to a skating rink. Now, some of you church folks are like, skating rink? You know what? God's presence is as much in that place as any place else because God doesn't reside in houses built with hands, right? But in our hearts. And then a group of people from Live Oak started coming, and, and some of them are still here today, and you could talk to them. And they, we said, finally, hey, you know what? There's a pretty good number of you guys. I think there was like 35, maybe 40. So why don't we just do church in your community? So we thought we can do that. We had heard about this thing called multi-site, that we could be one church with multiple locations. We said, let's try it. So the only place we could find, just our MO. We go to the bar. That's just what we do. And so we found, went out to the Spirit of the Swanee. Any of y'all remember that? Yeah, most of this crowd doesn't, but we went to the Spirit of the Swanee and what was so funny about that is I called some of my pastor friends in the area and told them what I was going to do. And you know what they told me? They said, you're crazy. Don't go out there. There's nothing but crackheads and drunks. I'm thinking... Isn't that the ones we're supposed to be reaching, you know? That's the kind of people we love around here. I don't know about you, but we just love those kind of people, and we want them to know Jesus. And so we went out there and had a wonderful time there until we kind of outgrew that. Things had to leave. And then God led us to this place, and it was just incredible. And then we began to grow here. And then God opened the door for us to do the same thing over in Jasper. And, and we started a, a meeting in Jasper. A group of people came and said, hey, can we be a part of this? And we said, yeah, join in. We're just doing what God's doing. And so we started an orchard in Jasper 
And by the way, that came to the point, God did some incredible things there, to where eventually we were able to turn over to them all the keys to everything. They're now an autonomous church. By the way, I think Chip told you this a couple of weeks ago, but they now have their own building. Someone donated them a building, and they're meeting in that building in Jasper. They're now the Journey Church, and so we consider that a place that we just planted, and we're so happy. And guess what? If, if, you know, sometimes God's good to give us affirmations, isn't he? And so last night, I got a little affirmation of what's happening. I was on my way home. <clears throat> I went up to uh, Lake Park, Georgia to do a wedding up there last night. And um, I was on my way back. And I had to stop for some of that cheap gas. Amen? Y'all, you with me? <clears throat> so I stopped at that first uh, uh, road, State Road 6 up there, the exit, because I knew they had a, a gas station there, and I knew they had a place I could get something to drink. I was really thirsty. So I filled up. I went in there and, 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 and got, you know, got my, my, a drink and came to pay for it. And this beautiful young lady, I, when I say beautiful, I, I mean just her spirit just came out of her. You know, she just, she just beamed. And, and <clears throat> she came up, and she was at the cash register, and she, she had just just been uh, just going all goos and gagas over this baby that was ahead of me, and uh, I was just seeing then some of her personality. So when I stepped up, I don't, think I, I don't even think I told you this, Beth. When I stepped up, she's like, I know you. That's kind of scary, you know? I don't, mm, you know, you know me. She said, I know you. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? You look familiar to me too, but I can't place where I know you. And she said, I can't either, but I know you. I know I know you. And I, I said, okay. And I'm trying to figure out how much money I owe her. And she says, no, really, I know you. And she, you can tell she's thinking. And I said, do you? I said, I don't know. I've been in here before. Maybe it's that. She says, nope. She paused. The orchard. I said, what? What? You're kidding me. She said, you're, you're from the orchard. I said, yeah, I'm the pastor. I know. Come to find out, it was Kiki, a little girl who was a little girl when we had the Jasper campus that we had, had been able to, to just kind of love to Jesus, and uh, she never forgot that. And so now she's a, a grown lady, and she recognized me. And I thought, God, thank you for the affirmation that we're able to make a difference in people's lives. Because you know what one thing I've always thought about our church? I don't say it all the time. I, I say it maybe more to our staff than I do to you guys. But one of the values, we talked about values this month. And one of the deep values in my heart is this. I, I want to I ask us this question often. And that's this. If the Orchard Community Church disappeared from this community tomorrow, would anybody even know we're gone? That's a convicting question. Would anybody know or care that we're gone? You know what I long for? I long for a church body that the answer to that would be that they would say, where's the orchard? We need these people because they love us and they're for our community. They're for our county. I don't know. But that's one of the things that I'm telling you I'm driving for to make a difference in this community. So when little Kiki, she's no longer little, when Kiki recognized me, it was affirmation as though God was saying, yep, keep up the work. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. And then Southridge came along, and you know some of the history of that. You know, a church just came up and said, hey, we're dying. No, we're dead. We got this property. Will you take it and, and form a church there? And we said, well, you know, we don't compromise real well, but if you want to give it to us, that's fine. And, and that became our, our Southridge campus, and they're doing well today. And now God has stirred our hearts to do it again. He stirred our hearts to Marion County. And, and, and we believe he's leading us to plant another orchard campus down in Marion County. And so our whole cry has been, Lord, 
do it again. And that's some of what this month has been about, to help you to get on board with our vision, to let you catch that vision for what God can do and will do. And he will do again, not only in our church as a whole, collectively, but in your life individually, in your family, in your marriage, in your home, in your business, in your whatever. God wants to continue to work. But now here's my assignment today. I want to talk about this fact. I believe that God will do it again, but probably not the same way. Let me say that again. God will, pro God will do it again because I believe he wants his word to go forward. He wants to see people who are far from God come near to him. He wants to do what we want him to do, but he probably will not do it the same way. And we don't like that. We want him to do it the same way he did before. You know, probably in your life. You know, you'd like to get back to a place where you were once, but you want to do it the same way. You know what? God is okay with us being uncomfortable with change. He's okay with breaking our routine because sometimes we will tend to worship the routine instead of the power that we need to rely on. For example, we all love routine. Routine's important. Your routine in the morning, I bet, starts with a coffee cup, many of you, right? Amen. You don't, that's okay. You don't, that, I'm, I'm not saying you're sinners. I'm just saying that's part of your routine. You got to have that coffee cup and, cup. and frankly, I want you to have that coffee cup. You're not really good to deal with until you have it. I understand that. Part of your routine, right? I think about a baseball player. Now, A.J. back there is a baseball player. He played baseball in college, and um, I think he was a pretty fair player. I don't know. I haven't seen that actually, but I, I think he was pretty good. And, and A.J. reminded me or, or, or affirms to me that baseball players are notorious for routine, right? You ever seen a guy when he steps up to plate, up to the plate? That doesn't have to be a gal. It could be a girl eat too, either one. You ever notice a batter when they step up to the plate, they have this routine. They got to wrap their glove. You know, I'm like... They do that even after a ball. It's like you didn't even do anything. Why do you, it's part of the routine, right? You got to straighten the helmet or at least touch the helmet. You got to maybe, maybe kick the chalk out of a way or dig your, your place in your... Anyway, there's this routine that ball players have to go through. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying that's bad at all. However, I could go through that same routine and I'm probably still not going to hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, right? Or... A professional curveball, probably not going to happen. I think about golfers. I love to play golf. I used to play golf a lot. I don't play it much anymore. I used to play golf. All golfers have a routine, right? You guys, you gals, you play golf, you know you got a routine. You got to find your shot where it's going. You got to do your little waggle thing with the club and take however many practice swings you got. You got to have that, right? You got to have a routine. The pros have routines. All of us have routines when we get to the golf ball. But guess what? It still comes down to keep your head down, eye on the ball, inside out swing. No matter how good your routine is. <laughs> and I know because I play with some of my buddies that have this great routine and then they dribble the ball 10 yards down the fairway. You know? It's not the routine. Can I say something? It's not the routine in what we do that's effective. Although we may have a routine, what matters is the spirit and the power of God at work in this place. And I'm telling you, more often than not, God is going to do it a different way. As a matter of fact, 
Think with me about the Bible just a minute. You Bible scholars, come to dial in on me just a minute. You, you can challenge me later if you want to, or, or, or maybe you have something, an idea that I hadn't thought about. But what I have noticed in reading the Bible, and I've read it through many, many times, what I've noticed is that God seldom, if ever, does the same thing the same way twice. Now, I'm going to say seldom because I know all is a big word. <laughs> but as I find it, God seldom does anything the same way twice, if ever. And he's done some pretty cool things. Think with me just a moment. When the children of Israel left Egypt after being in captivity for 400 years, God led them to the promised land. But on the way, something happened. Anybody remember? They came to this big sea called the Red Sea. There was no bridge. There was no ferry. There was no way to get across. And they needed to cross over to get to where they were going. Behind them, to complicate things more, was the Egyptian army who was pursuing them. And after them, he had changed his mind. Pharaoh had changed his mind and headed back. And they're stuck. What do they do? God said, no problem. I'm going to do something you've never seen before. And he told Moses, he said, take your rod, Moses, and lift it up. And when you lift up your rod, the sea is going to split. And it did. You remember, they walked through on dry ground. And then to make the miracle even greater, when they all got through and the Egyptian army, feeling pretty confident about it, said, well, we'll just go through too. They went in and the waters caved in and destroyed the army. And to this day... They believe they found chariots in that spot in the sea. Pretty cool. As a matter of fact, it was so impressive that from then on, when you read the New Testament, when it comes to a matter of faith, when it comes to something to believe in, the children of Israel would always look back to that parting of the Red Sea and talk about it and say, look what God did. God did it. God, do it again. But he never did the same way, did he? There was never another parting the Red Sea, as incredible as that was. Now, there was another parting of water. A generation later, the children of Israel are ready to go conquer the promised land. They're ready to take Jericho, the fortified city. They were, their plan was, their strategy was, divide and conquer. And everything's cool except that they arrive at the Jordan River in the rainy season. The river is swollen, and they don't have a way to cross. So I'm thinking if they think like us, what they're thinking is, well... Let's just ask God to do it again, and surely he'll do it the same way. So Joshua is thinking, just raise my rod, and the river will part. But you know what? Joshua could have raised his rod until he could raise it no more, and the water would not have parted. You know why? Because God said, here's how we're going to do this time. I'm going to part the water. But this time, I want the priest to go ahead of the people, and when the sole of their foot hits the water, the water will, see, will, will, will part. That's exactly what happened. And once again, the people went through on dry ground, as God had said. But it didn't happen the same way. Why didn't God do it the same way again? Because the God, listen carefully, the God who says of himself, I never change, the God who never changes always changes his methods. And I believe, as you'll see by the time I'm done this morning, it is for his glory and for our good. Let me show you. They come to Jericho. 
When they turn out this Jericho is a, is a walled city and the people are saying, we can't take this city. We're just shepherds. It, a, a, a real army couldn't take this city. God says, no problem. I got it. Here's what I want you to do, Joshua. I want you to march around the city seven, time, seven days. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times. And on the seventh time, I want you to blow the shofar, the trumpet, the ram's horn. I want you to blow the horns and the people shout and the walls are going to come down and it'll come on the top of the people and you'll, cover, you'll, you'll take the city. And they did. They marched against the city. They marched around it. They blew the trumpets. The walls came down, and they took the city of Jericho, the fortified city of Jericho. What an incredible miracle. He never did it again. Never again. Now, they had other cities to take, remember? They marched to Ai, and then there were other cities in the Promised Land, and they took them one by one by one by one by one. But as far as Scripture tells us, they never, he never did it the same way twice. You're thinking, ah, oh, it's Old Testament stuff. I know. Think about the New Testament. Think about Jesus. You remember Jesus and, and what he did in his life? The Bible says he went about doing good, and he healed people of their sickness, and he healed the lame, and he, he unstopped deaf ears. And by the way, he healed the blind people. You remember? Now, here's the cool thing. We're told of at least three different people that were blind that he healed. But he didn't do it the same way with any of them. With one man, there, you can read about it. With one man, Jesus came to him, and the man came to him and said, Master, will you heal me? My eyes are blind. He said, yep, your faith has healed you. Go ahead, you can see. And immediately the scripture says he could see. All he did was spoke, and the man could see. The second time, a man came to him and said, Master, can I have my eyes? Here's what he did. This time, the scripture says he touched his eyes. And as he touched his eyes, he spoke to him to be healed. And immediately... The man could see. And then there's a third time we're told about. The third time says that a man came to him for healing in his eyes, for his sight. And you know what Jesus did? He spit on his eyes. I know that sounds gross, but if you're blind, you don't care. He spit on his eyes. And he touched them and he prayed. And it said the man opened his eyes, but he saw people. Jesus said, how's it look? <laughs> He said, well, I see people moving, but they're like trees. He said, wait, let me touch you again. He touched him a second time, and it cleared up. My point is, he did it different every time. I think God is okay with change. We don't like it, but I think God is okay with change. And in fact, he wants us to trust him instead of the methods. Now, the reason I'm talking about all of this is because I've been in this long enough. 44 years I've been doing this. I know churches. I know groups of people. And I know that we don't like change. We want God to do it again, but we want him to do it the same way he's done it before. I know churches today who are crying out a death cry as far as I'm concerned. I'm talking about a cry that says, we want it to be the way it used to be. You know, I remember the way it was 10 years ago or 5 years ago or 1 year ago. I want it to be the same as it was then. I don't want anything to change. We're not changing. Some would dig their feet in and say. Others would say, you know, it's just not the same as whatever. Be careful of saying those things, church. That is a death knell for us. Because God is going to do it again, but he is likely going to do it a different way. And if we don't wake up and understand that 
and be willing to say, God, you do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. We're going to die. We're going to die. So it's okay. And God says, I'm going to do it again. But I'm probably going to do it different. I'm going to do something new. There's a scripture in Isaiah I want to take you to. And I know it took me a while to get there. But, uh, you know, a lot of front porch on that. But in Isaiah chapter 43... I want to read a passage of scripture to you that is terribly exciting to me. It may not excite you as much as it does me, and you'll understand why in just a moment. Because this, this brings back a memory to my mind that is incredible. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, God says to the people through the prophet Isaiah, Look, I am about to do something new. That's refreshing. I'm going to do something new. New. You know what? If, we, if I were to stand up here this morning in a typical church and say, we're going to do something new, everybody would, uh, here we go again. But God says, I'm going to do something new. And it's going to be so incredible. You're going to be so shocked. Because look what he says he's going to do. He says, I'm going to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Who's ever heard of that? Okay, I understand an oasis, but not rivers in the desert. And then he goes on. He says, wild animals, jackals, and ostriches will honor me because I provide water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people I formed for myself will declare my praise. <laughs> I can just see your excitement. <laughs> Let me tell you why I'm excited about that. It's been several years ago now. <clears throat> I was visiting Israel. Going back in January, looking forward to that. Can't wait. I love going back. It's about my 14th time, so you'd think I'd get tired of it. But God always shows me something, what, new. So on this particular trip, I arrived in Jerusalem, and I had a pretty good-sized crowd with me. And I was so disappointed because it rained and rained and rained and rained and rained. For four days, the whole time we were there, it rained. And I don't mean just a light drizzle. I mean, it came down. And I was so disappointed because I'm thinking, oh, Lord, these people are having to struggle now. They're dipping, they're ducking into this shelter and ducking into that shelter. And, and you know, how are, I'm disappointed they're not seeing everything. And, and anyway, a little bit disappointed. Remember, I get in the flesh. I have those latter days, if you remember, a few weeks ago. And, and so I'm disappointed. And the next day we're scheduled to leave Jerusalem, and I'm glad. We leave Jerusalem. We go down to the Dead Sea. That's a, a change of, of altitude. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. The Dead Sea, 1,300 feet below sea level. And it all drops in about an area of 10 miles, maybe 15. So it's a steep drop. Change in altitude, change in weather. Now the sun is out. It's beautiful. We head down one road that leads from the northern part of the Dead Sea down to the southern part of the Dead Sea. Three-quarters of the way down that road, we come to a place called Masada. I don't have time to talk about it. You ought to read about it. It is the Jewish Alamo, where the, Jews, the Jewish soldiers made their last stand against Titus and the Romans. But, but, but we're there, and we're looking, and there's just beautiful sights, just beautiful visions and beautiful scenery. And my tour guide, Hillel, some of you will meet Hillel this year. He's guiding us again. Hillel says, Pastor Eddie, he said, uh, you know what? We're going to have to leave early. <laughs> like, leave early. We finally have sunshine. What are you thinking, leave early? He said, yeah, we got to leave early. I said, why? He said, because I'm afraid the road is going to wash out. How does a road wash out in the desert? 
So we head back, trusting my guy to know what he's talking about. We head back north. We're going through the arid wilderness. Not a wilderness as Tarzan swinging on the apes. Wilderness is in the Sahara. Dry, rocky, dusty. We're heading away up north, and as we're headed towards the, the place where we turn to go back to Jerusalem, I noticed the Israelis that were coming out in their cars, parking their cars on the side of the road, and getting out with their chairs, and getting out to stand, and they're looking like it was a parade. They're waiting for a parade to come. What are they waiting on? I said, Hillel, what are they waiting on? He said, they've come to see something new. They've come to see something they've never seen, and you're privileged to see it. Isn't that just like God to take something we moan and groan about and use it and turn it for our good? Now I'm about to see something I've never seen before. You see, Jerusalem sits on top of a hill surrounded by three valleys. The three valleys eventually come together into the Kidron Valley. You've heard about it in your Bible. The Kidron Valley, and that gorge goes all the way down to the Dead Sea. So all that rainwater that's been collecting for those four days is coming down off of that hill into those valleys, into the Kidron Valley, and flowing down toward the Dead Sea. So that by the time we're there, we look up, and over the barren, dry rocks, we see water beginning to cascade in a waterfall. I've never seen that. It comes down the rocks and flows into streams running alongside the road. Hillel says, you guys remember Isaiah 43? <laughs> Here are your streams in the desert. Isaiah wasn't just being poetic and talking about God providing these rivers in the wilderness. It's truth. It's reality. It was incredible. I looked up and I said, God, I've never seen anything like this. And here we began to praise and honor and glorify his name. You see, I think that's why God loves to do new things because he wants to show us things greater than we could even imagine. I, I, I never could have imagined seeing streams, waterfalls in that desert place. I'd been there over and over and over again. I'd never seen it. But God wanted to show me something bigger, greater, stronger than I could have even imagined. Meanwhile, I'm up in Jerusalem pouting like a little kid. I'm telling you, stop pouting. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? Stop pouting. God's got something he wants to do in your life. He's got something he wants to do new in your life, in your family, in your ministry, in your home, in your career. I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you, God is a God who wants to refresh with new things. Why? Because it waters, it refreshes the lives of his people, and his people, instead of praising a method, praises him. Wow. You see, earlier I had been up to tell Don, Dan, we would say. Dan is the headwaters for the Jordan River. Springs flowing. But that wasn't surprising because it's very lush in that area. Yeah, everything is no unusual to see springs. But in the desert? Wow. Could it be that God would want to do something like that here again? Could it be that once again God wants to do something so fresh and so new that we don't even know what it is? If we're not careful, we'll be caught pouting because something's changing instead of looking to see what God is doing. There's nothing wrong with routine. And I'm not suggesting you change just for the sake of change. But I am saying we need to understand that God will do it again, but probably not in the same way.
So I jotted down four thoughts. And I'm going to give you these four thoughts. I'm going to give them to you quickly. I promise. Because I'm already about out of time. You guys listen so much. It's so good. I, I just run out. Let me give you four thoughts. So first one. Can you put them up there? The first one. Only thing constant is change. Right? Change happens. You may not like it. You may not want it. You may fight it. But it's coming. It's, it's going to come. How many of you have a baby? And you look at that precious little baby. And you're thinking, oh, it's the most wonderful moment. I hope he, she never changes. I, hope, I wish I could just keep this moment forever and ever and ever. How's that work for you? <laughs> it don't happen. Change happens. Beth and I, I told you a few weeks ago, Beth and I uh, went to our 45th, my 45th high school class reunion. I graduated when I was 10. And... Um, <laughs> Well, maybe not. We go to our class reunion, and everything's wonderful. We go to this place that's out in the country, outside of Brooker, Florida, if you know where that is. And uh, we go, and we get out, and we park, and we've never been to this place. And we walk in, and I'm, we, walk, we open the doors into the place. And, and, and I looked at her, and I said, we're in the wrong place. She said, no, we're not. This is the right. I said, no, we're in the wrong place. These are old people here. <laughs> Why? Because we change. Everybody in the room had changed. Guess what? including me. Whether I like it or not, change happens. It's the one thing that's constant. Second thing, very, very important as well. The only thing constant is change. God assigns tasks to us in order to grow us. It's kind of what I get from this. You see, why would God want to change? Why would he want, why would he not just do it the same way? I can't think of a better way to do it than what he did it, right? When he did it at Jericho, why didn't he do that with all the seeds? Why does God want to change? I'll tell you why I think it is. I think because he wants to grow us and to bring us to the place to glorify him. You see, here's the thing. When God assigns a task to us, a ministry to us, can I tell you something? Now, don't get mad at me when I say this. But God didn't assign you that ministry or that task because he thought you were the only one that could do it. In fact, he really doesn't need you. Sorry. He doesn't need me. He didn't assign me this task because I'm the only one that could do it. And he's not going to get upset if I'm not here tomorrow and say, Oh, my, who's going to do that now that Eddie's gone? Oh, God assigns us a task to grow us. He, he, he doesn't call you because you are equipped. He equips you when he calls you. And the reason is you think, well, that don't make sense to me. Why not get somebody who's already equipped because then they know how to do it? Well, one thing, our thoughts are not his thoughts and his ways are not our ways. You get that? We don't think like God. He don't think like us. Because I would think, let's get somebody experienced. Somebody knows what they're doing. But no, God says, uh, I'm not interested in that. Let me get somebody that don't know anything about this at all, and I'm going to teach him. I'm going to grow her. Mold her into what Paul calls the fullness of the stature of Christ. Into his image. He's shaping us. Can I just tell you something? People are more... Hey, this is worth writing down. People are more important than projects or programs. That's pretty good. I didn't think of that till just now. But I believe it. People are more important than projects or programs. We get all excited about our programs and our projects, and we want God to just be excited and turn somersaults. And he's like, hmm. Why? Because people are what's important. It's people that Christ died for, not a program. It's people that Christ died for, not a project. 
And that's why he says the most important thing you can do is love God and love people. That's what it's all about. I'm, uh, i got to hurry. Well, y'all, y'all just tell me to speed up or something. Go to the next one. I think it's very important. Next thing, don't panic when God changes his method. So if God brings about change in your life, don't panic. Okay? You're going to have seasons of life that are going to change. Don't panic. God knows what he's doing. And you know what? After you get over the, oh, what am I going to do with this change, you're going to find out it's pretty good. I remember when our children left home. That was one of the hardest days of our lives. I thought, how in the world? I can't believe my kids are going to leave. I can't believe my daughter just told me she loves another man more than me. Well, maybe not. But she chose to live with him. Still not over that, 17 years later. But you know what? I found the empty nest thing is not real bad. It's actually kind of nice. You see, don't panic when change occurs because God's got something in mind. Don't panic if God, you change your career and you panic. Oh my, I got fired or, I'm, or my job played out or let go or whatever. Don't panic. There's no panic in heaven. And God's got something in mind. I don't know what it is. Don't ask me after the service. I don't know. But that brings me to the next point, and I'm, I'm almost done. But I want you to see this. Very important. Seek God's face with every new task and don't just do it the same old way. When God gives you a task, don't just say, well, I've done this before. <laughs> Piece of cake. Maybe God is calling you to work in kids' ministry and you've done it before. And you're like, oh, I can do that. I've just <laughs> done it before a million times. Or maybe God's calling you to some other ministry or, or task or whatever it might be and you're like, I know how to do that. You be real careful because God seldom, if ever, does it the same way. I learned that lesson when I was a pastor of a church and I was on the brink of moving. I felt like God was calling me to another church and frankly, I didn't want to go. I was really quite happy where I, well, I am. Fortunately, you know how blessed I am. I've been at three churches previous to this one and counting this one, I've never wanted to leave. That's a blessing. I don't know if you realize what a blessing that is, but that's a blessing. And I didn't want to leave this church. And so, so, but I'll tell you how God got my attention. I was doing an evangelism class. I would teach the class, and then we would do some practical stuff. So I'm going out. One day, I come into my office on a particularly busy day, and my, I run into my office, and it's getting later in the day, and my secretary, who was such an incredible assistant, came to me and said, Pastor Eddie, Pastor Eddie, don't forget. you got, your, you got to prepare for your evangelism class tonight. To which I replied, ah, no problem. I can do that in my sleep. Wrong response. God showed me a quick lesson, but a painful lesson, to remind me that I need him to work in my life. I don't need to just do it myself the same old way I've always done it. Because he may want to do something new and different, and he want to do that. He gonna, he's going to do that to bring honor and glory to him, not to me. It was a, y'all ever heard about going to the woodshed? Yeah, God took me to the woodshed that day. So now, people say to me, so how's this Ocala thing working? Where are y'all going to plant in Ocala? Where are you gonna, where's the location in Ocala? And what are you going to do about Southridge? And what's going to happen? Da, 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 and all these questions. And you know what my answer is? And this is just as honest as I know how to be with you at this point. And my answer is, I don't know. I'm waiting on God to show me. Because the temptation for me is, I've done this before. I got it. I know just what to do. 
I know the strategy. I know how to do it. I know where we failed. I know where we learned. I know how to do it. But you see, I remember that woodshed experience. I don't want to go there again. So I'm saying, God, all I know is that you stirred our heart to this point for Marion County. I believe you want to do it again. But probably not the same way. So will you show us? And I'm waiting to hear from God. That sounds so spiritual, I know. No, I'm not going up to a mountain peak and crossing my legs and my arms and saying, hmm, God, show me. But I am every day waiting for him to show us step by step by step. Have you ever noticed that when God reveals something to us, it's usually only one step at a time. No big picture. One step at a time. Well, I've got to close, so let me give you this final thought. I worked hard on this thought, so I want to get it in, even though my time's running tight. Watch this. Good takeaway. When your future, I believe this, when your future bows to your past, you're done. When your future bows to your past, you're done. If you let your future, your past, another way to say it, if you let your past control your future, you're done. Because God's probably not going to do it the same way, and he wants to take care of your past. He wants to settle the past. Somebody said it this way. The first time I heard it was Andy Stanley, but I think it was said before him. Somebody said, when your memories outnumber your dreams, you're close to the end. It's true. It's true in life. And some of you like me with white hair, graying hair, and you know that the, the sooner you get, the closer you get to the end, the more your memories begin to outnumber your dreams. I don't want that to be said of me spiritually. I want to charge the finish line in an open sprint. I want to have a vision for what God can do in me and through me until he calls me home. That's the finish line. The finish line for me is not retirement. I don't plan to retire. I might retread, but, you know, I might slow down. But I, I, I'll tell you what, I want to just pass the finish line wide open. Why? Because I don't want my future held captive by my past. And I'm willing for God, I'm saying this publicly, I'm willing for God to change anything he wants to change in order to see something new. Because when the water cascaded into the valley, the animals had provision of water. The people had provision of water. And God was honored and glorified. Anybody want to join me? Pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us a challenge today. A challenge to believe you and trust you. A challenge to trust you no matter what happens. Trust you in the midst of change. Trust you when you say, I want to do something new and something different. And trust you when it's different than what we're accustomed to. Even when it takes us out of the comfort of our routine. Thank you, Lord. That you're a God who can be trusted. Hmm. Now, just in this moment of quiet, can I ask you a couple of questions? 
First of all, have you allowed Jesus to settle your past? Is your past settled? You know that's his specialty? He settles our past. Sometimes we're tra we feel trapped by our past, or we feel trapped in our past, or, or we can't get beyond our past. And, and we even think, God could never forgive my past. You don't understand, Pastor Eddie, what I've done or where I've been. And I say to you, it doesn't matter. When Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago, he died to settle your past and to take care of it. And if you'll just trust him, if you'll trust him and his finished work on the cross, he'll settle your past. He said he'd forgive you. His most beloved disciple, John, wrote it this way in a little epistle. He said that the blood of Jesus Christ covers us, forgives us. He covers all our sin. That's everything. I don't care how wicked you've been, how hard you've been, how far from God you may feel. Jesus died for you, stating to you that God so loved you, God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Wow. Settle your past today. Just call out to him. He'll settle it. The second question I have is this. Have you secured your present? Do you know that presently you are where God wants you to be? There's no greater feeling. There's no greater peace. There's no greater joy than to know you, where, you are where God wants you to be right now. It may even be a painful spot, but you know what? Even painful spots are brought to be joyful spots when we know that we're in the hand of God and where he wants us to be. We may not like it, but we're at peace. And then finally, I guess the last question is, have you caught a vision for your future? Are you still living in the past? Are you just allowing your past to, to control you? Are, you? are you allowing your future to bow to your past? Or why not just say, God, give me a vision for the future. Where, where do you want to take me? What's ahead for me? I've been asking myself that a lot lately. God, what's next? Will you do it again?